What um, about so people that were already in the pipeline? Are you seeing things closing? Yeah, so we've been closing the majority. Um, I think we only lost one in the office, but when these people are pulling the plug, these are locked loans. We had a jumbo in the office and the lender's like, we can't fund that. We're not doing that anymore. And then we started getting emails from non-QM lenders that we, we rarely do non, we can do non-QM, but we rarely do it. You know, the 90% of the business is conforming loans, but the non-QM companies are sending emails out that say, even if you have a lock, we're renegotiating it. Welcome to the Good Stewards Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to seasoned real estate investors who want to maximize the cash flow potential in their business. We are buy and hold investors with a thousand plus properties and markets across the U.S. who bring an insider's view into the nitty gritty details of real estate investing. If you're looking to develop the mindset, teams, and systems that can dramatically build your real estate business and net worth, you're in the right place. Welcome to this episode of the Good Stewards Podcast. I'm Ryan Dossey. I'm Amanda Perkins. I'm Bill Sirius. And I'm Andrew Sirius. Hello, Good Stewards. Today, we've got a special mortgage industry episode with Matt Boyd, a mortgage advisor here in Eugene, Oregon. We do business with Matt and his team at Eugene Brokers and wanted to dive in deeper to their situation and how COVID is impacting lenders. Before we dive in, we want to connect with you. Visit us at thegoodstewards.com to subscribe to the podcast and get your free copy of our ebook. Uh, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Amanda. I'm excited to be here. Matt and I actually uh, are family, but also have been uh, involved in a couple of different business things. We did a flip of sorts together uh, a couple of years ago, and I use him for my residential mortgage needs. So this will be more geared toward the residential mortgage side of things, although Matt does have clients that are uh, real estate investors that he also um, does lending for. We just don't exactly qualify for some of his programs. So as a business, we haven't, but um, he's pretty tied into the ins and outs of this rapidly changing mortgage industry that has uh, of sorts not come to a screeching halt, but lots of things have changed. It has come to a screeching halt for some people because qualifications have changed. They've put restrictions out there. And so we wanted to kind of spend some time to uh, have Matt weigh in on that since he's actively engaged in that. Um, Before we go there, though, we just wanted to talk a little bit about some of these programs that the government has sort of thrown at us and how, uh, you know, our experience with what we're hearing people say and our own experience as far as things like the paycheck protection plan and what we're going through experiencing that. Um, Andrew, did you kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, your experience in Kansas City? Yeah, I mean, our experience is pretty straightforward. Uh, The paycheck protection program basically gives you you take your previous year um your previous year payroll your w2 1099 is not counted and you can take that divide it by 12 and then multiply it by 2.5 and as long as over the next two months you hit 75 percent of that uh, i believe it's forgiven if it's not if you can't hit that it turns into a very low interest i think one percent interest loan 
and, it, and the paperwork is pretty pretty uh, straightforward. It's a pretty simple document. I think they want nine forty ones is the IRS form, but they, that's sort of the gold standard, at least from what I'm hearing, on on proving your your w, how much W two payroll you've you've paid out effectively but it, it's a pretty simple program you just go through a bank you got to find a bank who's interested in doing this and we've you know we have not received those funds yet i i've, I've heard various things i know that a lot of uh, like unemployment insurance is is completely overwhelmed right now i'm not sure how how slow it is but i know that a lot of these government programs a lot of these government these new rollouts these are in terms of unemployment insurance old rollouts uh are simply overwhelmed with the volume i mean we're talking like i think it increased uh, something like 11 million and then another 5 million onto the unemployment rolls over the course of just weeks and they're, I'm sure they're getting inundated with these PPP requests. Uh, so it probably will take some time, but the documentation itself is relatively straightforward. Our experience with it too is really, I feel like all of our banks, which are a lot of our lenders, are so tied up in these uh, government loans that they're trying to get written that we're seeing, you know, we were in the middle of refinancing several different properties and those are taking forever. And basically what the bankers are telling us is we're spending all our time basically dealing with deferrals and dealing with uh, businesses reaching out for these funds. And so it's hard for them to keep their business as usual. And then on top of that, their regulations are sort of changing on a week to week basis. Yeah, they keep getting issued new like FAQs and new guidelines and there's a lot of uh I mean as with any new rollout particularly government rollout there's going to be a lot of red tape and a lot of confusion and a lot of vagaries and things like that that make this you know bog down this process. You mean signature loans aren't just popping off right now? <laughs> if somebody <laughs> hasn't applied for their PPP loan, uh what banks would you recommend? Which banks have we gone through uh collectively as stewardship entities to apply well, for? We these? have tried to stick with our regional banks, the ones who provide a lot of our commercial lending. And the reason for that is they seem to be quicker to respond. One of our businesses tried, uh, they use US Bank, for instance, as their uh, primary bank. And that was basically a non-starter because US Bank wasn't geared up to deal with companies that had principals that own more than one business. And so we felt we feel like you should probably hopefully have a smaller bank in your pocket that you're going to go through. That might be a quicker way to get in than the B of A's and the Chases and the US Banks of have, the world. If you have a relationship somewhere, that's the place to start. Absolutely. Particularly, particularly a local bank. So I want to say it was on March sixth, uh, interest rates, residential, but all interest rates dropped significantly. And 10 minutes before five o'clock, I reached out to Matt and said, Hey, what's the, what are mortgage rates right now? And I think his response was 3.125. And I said, okay, well, I think I'd like to pull the trigger on refinancing my personal residence because that's a big, I mean, I was at four, 3.125 seems great. And, you know, basically it was like, all right, well, we have about 10 minutes to get the trigger pulled on that and get an application in. So we went there. And so that, so that was March 6th. And then my sort of number that went off of was, I feel like March 11th is when things really like things were ramping up to change, but March 11th is sort of what I mark as like, 
one of the Start. events that seemed big was March 11th is when the NBA suspended their season. And I really, and like uh, the University of Oregon suspended classes for, not suspended, but they moved to online classes for three weeks after spring break. And so those were the things that I started hearing about. And since then, I feel like every week something new happens. And Matt, I sort of wanted to know if you could speak to that a little bit about what has changed in your world since March 6th. Yeah, Amanda. So it actually goes hand in hand with what you're just saying. On March 6th, I believe it was a Friday, um, mortgage-backed security prices are like an all-time high. We're getting towards the higher the price is, the better the rates are going to be. So we sit there and then Monday they level off and they just went up and down the past two weeks until the Fed started buying, but they're actually buying at such a rate that it's just kind of kind of made a mess in the market. Um, earlier this year, we saw COVID start hitting over in China and like you see the market dwindling a little bit over here. And at that time, we started getting the refinance pipeline booming or rolling um, because rates were dropping. And then it's kind of the perfect storm. There's so many layers to what's going on with the mortgages right now that it's really interesting. So right when you called me, it was at the peak where these lenders have like record application volume coming in and they start realizing if we're not careful, we're going to pull the rug out from us. Um, you know, servicers that service these loans, they have contracts with the investors that they need to have two, three, four years to start making their money back. So we're afraid that if we, you know, refinance the 11 trillion that are eligible for refinancing towards a benefit for them, it's going to short staff them. Then on the other hand, here we go a week later, these rates just skyrocket. The liquidity for the lenders, they realize they're going to have an issue with that too. So they they actually hedge your loans. So the pipeline of locked loans, they're already hedging to be sold in the market. They have all this liquidity tied up there. Well, then the market shifts because of all this MBS pricing dropping down. So the lenders start getting uh, market calls left and right. So, you know, there's 24 hours, we need $100 million if you want to keep all these funds hedged. And it's just, it's, it's made it quite interesting. You know, I was having conversations on Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with clients that called back the following Wednesday, and it's not even the same ballpark. You know, it doesn't make sense to refinance. So we had that first little wave go on. Um, and, and during that time, we've been sitting here talking. I've got, you know, taxes, applications for for some investors that want to refinance everything. And we're just waiting for the right time, I guess, to pull the trigger, you know, and slide in there. Because they are, they are accepting new applications, you know, for decent rates, but they're kind of opening these floodgates and waves. Um, and then we hit phase two, which happened about two weeks ago, where they roll out this care package relief. And the problem with that is the servicers that have a contract with the investors they on government loans, so FHA, USDA, and VA, which is a good portion of all mortgages, they have to advance payment to the investor regardless of if they're getting paid or not. So all of a sudden they're looking at, okay, well, we have a three month forbearance, then what are they going to do after? We're going to be paying everyone's mortgage without any money coming in. And they're not as they're not as liquid as the rest of the company. So they're just advancing these payments, you know, for the first one to 30 days after. It's so due what on you're first. saying is the services are still responsible to make their payments to the investors, even right. if they're not allowed to, you know, if they can't file bankrupt or they can't file foreclosure, they can't, you know, aggressively yep. go after homeowners to collect their payments. Even if they don't receive that money, they still have to make their obligation to yep. the federally backed programs. Okay. Yes. So they're, so all their liquidity is going to that. They don't know 
the first of April is interesting because they don't know what to do. They're, you know, they're like, are we going to sit and wait? Are we going to have 50% of these people apply for forbearance? Because it takes no documentation. You sign and you attest that you've been impacted, but to what degree, you know, they don't want proof if you don't have a job loss, something like that. People are just signing paperwork, so they're not sure what to do with the government stuff. So, and so Matt, has that has that frozen out the uh, lenders from lending? Has that raised the interest rates? What's the result of all of this? That it's it's still changing. The last week was changing quickly. Um, two weeks ago, we basically lost non-QM programs at everywhere. What, what's there's that still, mean? There's still oh. a couple out there. So these are non-agency loans. Like if you're an investor in like. You know, maybe your cash flow doesn't look right for a Fannie or Freddie loan, but you, you know your debt servicing ratio is awesome on a property. You go get a non-QM loan; the interest rate is going to be a little higher, but it's going to allow someone with more properties to get something financed. Well, those were the first to go because those aren't going into traditional mortgage-backed securities. And then they started phasing out jumbos last week just because they don't know if they're going to be able to get rid of them, and they don't want to be sitting on billions or you know millions and billions of dollars of these securities that are servicing themselves. Did this uh, did this issue with the servicers happen in two thousand eight as well? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that. It's uh, it's definitely unprecedented. So what we've been seeing is a lot of first time home buyers utilize these programs. They're lower down payments. You know, they're they're kind of subsidizing self stuff to help them out. Well, the servicers don't want to buy those now, so the lenders are more leery to write them unless they have a servicing portfolio that they can maybe hold them in for a while. But what we're seeing is uh, traditionally at Fannie and Freddie, there's every twenty. FICO points you have, there's a different pricing scale. And the government loans is like 640 and over, here's your price, 640 and under, here's your price. Well, those have changed where they're just charging points left and right. Bracketed like a government loan is now bracketed like a Fannie Mae loan. So they don't want the 640 stores. They're still writing FHA mortgages. They're still writing VA, but they're tearing them up way more to where they only want. Now, just this morning, I was uh, on the old uh, elliptical listening to CNBC. And somebody came on and said that uh, U.S. Bank had just ratcheted up its uh, criteria to 700 for a credit yep. score. And I um, saw Chase was at 720 or something about yeah, like I've that. I've seen that all over the place, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Chase wants 20% down now. So they're, I think what they're trying to do is I don't know how the private mortgage insurance companies are feeling about this whole situation, but that would cut them out of the equation for a conventional loan. And um, I don't I don't know if that's a long term hold that they're doing there or if that's just something to kind of see what what's going to happen the next couple of weeks. You know, what um, about that, people that were already in the pipeline? Are you seeing things closing? Yeah, so we've been closing the majority. Um, I think we only lost one in the office. But when these people are pulling the plug, these are locked loans. We had a jumbo in the office, and the lenders like, we can't fund that. We're not doing that anymore. And then we started getting emails from non-QM lenders that we, we rarely do non, we can do non-QM, but we rarely do it. You know, the 90% of the business is conforming loans, but the non-QM companies are sending emails out that say, even if you have a lock, we're renegotiating it. You know, we have to, this, this, here's your new rate, basically throw the old lock out the window. If you want to close the loan, this is what you have to do. Now, Amanda, we've been able to continue to refinance loans with uh, some of these smaller banks that we've dealt the with for years. The ones that we were already in process yet. I have pulled the trigger on one new commercial loan, but um, that's going to take months. And I think we'll be out mm-hmm. of this by the time that actually closes. But we have, uh, well, actually, we've only closed one. We have another one set to close this week in Kansas City. And... Um, and we're still we've... we're still waiting on our Oregon stuff to close, but we 
we've been, I mean, we've been communicating all along with our lenders and they say they're going to close and then, you know, we'll get really close and then they'll ask some more questions that we, we have good answers for. Um, you know, I think a little of it was they wanted to see what April was going to be that kind of probably Matt, like what you deal with, like they want to see, did you guys collect? I mean, how much of your rents did you collect? You know, right. like, where are you at with this? So, I mean, I think there's just been a little of that, like, you know, there's so much uncertainty right now. And I can't imagine, you know, I, you know, I wonder like if they're taking an extra look at what is your job? What market are you in? You know, like, you know, what are you doing? You know, like, how are you, we certain that you're going to be able to make these mortgage payments, that sort of thing. So I feel like everyone's taking a stricter look. So Matt, if I'm a, um, if I'm a fix and flipper and I've got a property that I just put on the market and I'm wanting to make sure that this is a strong buyer, I mean, kind of what I've been advising people is to go conventional or heftier down payments. Is there, is there anything else you would say to that? Anything that like, Hey, make sure they're using this or not using that. What we're looking for in a buyer, like who are the buyers that can close loans right now? Are we allowed to ask like, well, what is your credit score? <laughs> right. Like, you know, there's, there's a fine line on that. Um, I, that's not really a precedent in like the Eugene area market, but I know in other states and stuff, they'll actually have, they'll ask the buyer to cross qualify with their lender and supply all the same info on the seller side, just so they have a second set of eyes saying, yeah, this is okay. Um, another big benefit is if they're working with a brokerage versus a captive or direct lender, then at least, you know, it, it might hold things up. But if, you know, lender A pulls the plug and says, we're not funding this FICO, this FHA, at least there's a lender B option with this. Every, everything is there ready to go to them. That makes sense. And the, the, one of the weirdest things that came out of this, and luckily being a broker, we have, you know, a lot of different uh, lenders we can go to. Some of them aren't accepting forward locks anymore. So you put in your loan application, they underwrite it. Some say once it's, it's you know conditionally approved a week or two in and someone until it's clear to close, they won't even lock your loan. And part of that's because once they lock, then that's getting looked at, you know, their next their next MBS, the next package of loans they put together, that's all from their locked pipeline. So this way they're not having to hedge so hard. It's locked and it's sold two weeks later to an investor and they're not worried about getting that mark that margin call and stuff. Interesting. So what are you, I mean, are you still having people reach out like um, people that are buying homes? Like, are you still closing new purchases? Are you mostly in refinance? Have you seen a slowing down in your market or mo are you guys keeping really busy? We had our, a record month last month, April, and we're on pace to do it again this month. Is, is that refinances and, yeah. or how about, how about purchases? That's probably what we're most interested in. Yeah, we're fairly low on purchases right now, but it is the slow time of the year too. Um, from the buyers we have pre-approved and they're shopping, I haven't seen any uncertainty. I, I've heard people in you know like Facebook groups I'm in that say they have a lot of buyers pulling out of deals because um, they're not sure what it's going to hold. But in our area, it seems like everyone they're a little more cautious, you know, and like they're going to make sure they still have a job before they go into it. But it seems everyone seems to be moving ahead as planned. The people that wanted to buy houses are still buying. I mean, I think ultimately a, a big part of that is like the sun is still rising and setting. Job transfers are still happening. People are still getting served with divorce papers. Uh, you know, tenants are still not paying rent. Uh, you know, properties are still vacant. So I think as, as much as the world to an extent would like to pause, I know on our side, on the marketing end, 
we've actually had an increase in people looking to sell, people looking to make moves. We've been trying to add more buyers to our list of people looking for investment properties and our stuff sells too fast. By the time I put together a marketing piece to try to throw out there, the deal's already gone. So, you know, I think it, I think it really is, you know, as much as like personally, I think a lot of us have had to kind of take a pause on the life end, a lot of us haven't had that luxury of like, well, uh, for instance, my wife and I found out uh, we've got a permanent change of station with the Navy coming up in uh, September. Doesn't matter what's going on. We're moving in September. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan, most of your uh, buyers are, are using cash or private funds. Is that correct? So they're not they're not looking to more for mortgage. Uh... We've we've never we never have sold to people that are using anything other than cash, private or hard money. But even on our retail side, Bill, I mean, we had a rental grade, uh, like kind of a kind of a gross <laughs> rental grade house that we listed. And in 72 hours, a 1031 exchange came in with a cash offer 5k below list. We had a little bit of a nicer vinyl village, but still total rental like like builder grade, no new appliances hadn't really been upgraded in 10 years. And we sold in 36 hours on that for 5k over ask. So I mean, I think it's uh, right, and that was like last weekend. So that wasn't yeah, that like was just, just happened. Right, right. That was in the middle of no, this wasn't pre COVID. Um, I think the other I think the other thing that's just kind of, I would say interesting right now is the uh, one thing I heard on every broker that looked at both of those deals was a lot of sellers out of uncertainty pulled their properties off the market. So there's not much inventory respectively right now. So the people that are looking like I uh, had a number, I mean, we had multiple offers on both properties and we kept hearing over and over again, well, they've already lost out on two houses. You know, they'll, they'll pay your ask and they're a 20% down conventional buyer. So is that because yeah, I've heard this too, that there's a lot of sellers have pulled their inventory and that's because, or they pulled their uh, property to sell. People are just are worried about the connection of getting into the house and how to do that. And I don't think it's that. I think it's more. They I don't think know it's what more the price is or I mean, they don't know how to correct. price it or are we still pricing it the same as we were four weeks ago? It, this is a or it's this is unprecedented because it changed so fast. I mean, it was like we were going, going, going and then it was like, OK, well, I think you had I think you had a lot of people that thought, oh, I'll cash out at the top. So they listed and then they no longer feel like they're at the top. So they're they're pulling it back off and saying, hey, I'm just going to sit on this would be my guess. But I think the interesting thing that I've seen in Indianapolis, Indianapolis normally is not a super um, cash heavy market from what I've seen on the real estate side, like pretty much every flip I've ever done has been sold to an FHA buyer with three and a half percent down or a you know, Indiana Department of Housing assistance thing where they're putting a percent down or something. So it's it's been pretty interesting to see kind of these folks like come out of the woodwork with 20, 25% down. And it, it could just be that now they're having to do that. But I know on our retail side, that's, I mean, some of the stuff we've been asking of how much are they putting down? Is this conventional or FHA? And we've only been taking conventional at this point. What do you guys think, like, Matt, what do you expect, like, your May and your June and your July to look like? I mean, are you just because, I mean, maybe you haven't had a chance to gauge that because I do think a lot of tightening happened 
crazily over the weekend. So you guys are probably going to have to reassess that. Yeah. Um, for the foreseeable future, I see us, we're going to be refinance heavy. You know, they're, they're projecting this to go into 2021 with, with good rates. They're, they're really volatile right now. So we're hoping that settles out soon. And that'll allow us just to consistently get these refinances in there and get, you know, help, help people out. The purchase side, I'm not really sure what we're going to see. Question about the refinances, Matt. What yeah. kind of, I have, have uh, banks up their criteria regarding refinances as well in terms of, uh, yeah, yeah, tell us about they, that. It's, it's really interesting. I got a list of uh, COVID-19 overlays that one lender put out by, uh, the 31st of the end of the month, effective April 1st. They, you can go up to 50% DTI generally, you know, debt to income on a conventional loan. Um, there's other factors that go into that, but 50 is like where it's a hard stop, you know, for perfect credit and stuff. So now Seems like a high debt to income ratio. So I'm surprised yeah. they haven't tamped that well, down. That's, that's another thing I think is going to happen is right now we have a, just a GSD patch, which says that we, we need, we need your uh, abbreviations. Uh, just right. G- uh, well, the, the GSDs are Freddie and Fannie. Government supported entities. Thank yeah. you, Andrew. <laughs> so, so they have the GSD patch on there, and what that says is they can go up to fifty percent DTI, and that's been there for years and years. DTI, debt uh, income. Tell. He just okay. did. That. I, I, I mean, that's I know, a pretty basic one. <laughs> hey, we we got to define our terms. Guys. ARV is an after repair value. <laughs> Thank you. you. I appreciate that. On the ARV of the DSCR. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I've been working out my abbreviations What is, what is this here. DSCR you speak of? <laughs> Thank you, Matt, so, for interpreting. All right. So the, they're capping debt to income to absolute max is in 50% the last few years. Um, and that's what the patch they've been voting through. They're, they're supposed to be capped at 43%. And the next extension date comes up in 2021. And I wouldn't be surprised if that goes away at this point, just because everything was gravy, you know, people were performing on their loans and actually the, the best performing loans were the higher debt to income because they they think that they were prioritizing housing over other expenses because it wasn't just a small monthly expense, you know, it's like that's our that's our roof over our head. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that goes away, but these lenders have been, you know, over, they're staying over 40% DTI. Now they want three months of reserves, um, a month of reserves just being one month of your payment that's left over sitting in your bank. Uh, investors, they want six months of reserves on your rental property to qualify that income. So if you have someone that, you know, main job doesn't show a large amount of income and the rentals on their schedule, you kind of keep them afloat now that they're coming to a spot where when they tack on all these reserve requirements, they're going to have to have a substantial amount of assets in order to refinance on those investment properties. Interesting. That's good to know. Have you seen on any of the cash out side of things, have they lowered from say seventy five percent down to seventy or sixty five? There's they're all staying at they'll go up to eighty. They're, the pricing on eighty is terrible, but they're they're keeping them at seventy five pretty consistently across okay. the board. So they haven't throttled down on cash out refi percentages. Not not particularly. I do think that's coming though at some point, or that they're going to add on that they want more reserves. With the, with the cash out not counting, you know, so if you have a higher DTI debt to income ratio as it is, if you're above 45 and you're going to do a cash out, they want to see that you have a couple months sitting there and that you're not going to pull that out, you know, that you have the financial responsibility. That's smart for Burr investors to keep in mind, yeah. especially those just getting started. And and that's that's what I'm seeing right now. I have one investor I was working with and he's just kind of stuck because, he, you know, it, good 
deal comes on, he gets hard money. He buys it. Well, when you go to refinance your rental properties, you're holding and you've got four hard money notes out on these properties that you're flipping right now and remodeling. It, just, it doesn't cancel <laughs> out. Yeah, you, you can't do anything. And then with non-QM pulling out, you know, you could have got some a DSBR loan there where, okay, your, your rent looks great compared to the mortgage payment. We'll go ahead and extend you that credit. Those are gone now. And just to break down, what is non-QM stand for? It's a, it's a non-qualified mortgage. It's, it's not agency. So it, it's not a Fannie, it's not a Freddie, and it's not a government loan. So it's more like a loan. portfolio or like a local yes. community bank loan yes. or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Got it. So one question I've got for you. Um, so on the VA side, because um, we're getting ready to use a VA mortgage here in the next couple months, or I should say that's the plan. Um, how is that working with, it's my understanding, typically on the VA side, they can be nothing down and they are government backed. Now, I understand the like, you know, jumbo, non-jumbo piece, but are you guys still seeing VA mortgages get done or are they oh, yeah. now? Okay. We're, we're seeing them get done. The biggest is they're not not getting done right now. It's just that lenders that don't necessarily know if they can sell that to a servicer right away are inflating the rates on their government products. Especially okay. because are, is there still a, for a while, it was like you couldn't foreclose against a VA or a veteran or, a, is it, I mean, I don't remember what that was, but there was something there that if you, you know, obviously if you were in the armed services, there was going to be a, Especially if you were active duty, it was going to be like different. A, there's a lot of there's lending like, laws. Yeah, there's like some interest rate cap stuff that like you can't be charged more than certain rates. But I don't, I don't know about anything about being foreclosed on. But that's that's good to know. Andrew, I'm curious. In Kansas City, you've talked to a lot of lenders. Do you what what are you picking up from from them? I mean, most of them are still lending. I think that that a lot of them are kind of taking a a bit of a wait and see approach but uh i mean we're getting a loan that we're supposed to close probably wednesday this week and from the others i've talked to they're still lending and so i do think their criteria has gone up and i think a lot of them are inundated with these ppps and other type of things but it it doesn't seem it certainly hasn't shut down that's that's for sure slowed i would say it's slowed down everything it always took a long time for all the pieces and, and to part, come together part of it is like we're longer. working with a bank in portland area right amanda that uh they're working from, many of them most of them are working from home and they've got these ppps that are just inundating them they're just slammed they right say. they're not set up to work from home and then title companies are i think operating at a bare bones right now and you know, I don't, Matt, you might know a little bit more because you've actually closed some loans, but what, I mean, are title companies business as usual or are they? They're, they're modified business as usual right now. They're um, requesting lenders don't come in. One in town actually won't even let you drop an earnest money check off. They want everything mailed and they do have the procedures in place where if they need to shut down further, that they're going to hand off packages and actually do like the Zoom signings and stuff where they'll, so they can go through the, the paperwork with you. But for now, luckily, they're letting people in. One uh, uh, title company officer told me that uh, they lost all their roving notaries. And really? uh, that <laughs> that's put it. I'm wondering if this is really going to change. I mean, obviously, so many things are going to change as a result of this pandemic in our economy and our technology. And, and one of these, I think, will be in the, in the way that people like, are we going to even need notaries in the, you know, are we going to have... Uh, 
you know, signing things. Are we ever going to need to do that in person anymore? You know, so. Right. Could we, I mean, in other states outside of Oregon, they do allow scan documents and, you know, Andrew doesn't have to buy a house. Andrew doesn't have to go to the title company and sign stuff. He can just sign it and scan it and send it in and they get it taken care of. And so. It's the same in Indy. Yeah. It's not that that way in Oregon. They want you there in front of them signing. Really? I think there will definitely be some deregulation and more push for convenience. Uh, Even if it's not under the guise of like safety, right? Like I know even like California is pretty, pretty uh, regulated. Um, Local bars will like, hey, do you want a mason jar full of beer (laughs) with your food right now? (laughs) Like it's become so, so deregulated that I, I think you are going to see some of that like closings. Do you really need to go or can that just be done over Zoom? You've Um, you've kicked your bar habit for a while, haven't you, Brian? No, I've got a lot of mason jars. Oh, okay. I was just wondering. (laughs) (laughs) You can get them to go. Now, they actually, uh, fortunately, you know, weed is considered agriculture. So, you know, all all good there. Oh, thankfully. (laughs) An essential service. I know that is one thing we've done that's different. That's never a question I thought I would ever ask somebody is like, are you in an essential business or not? As we're taking, as you know, we're getting offers on stuff. I know our title company, just to speak to that, they're doing like drive up closings. Like they will walk the paperwork out to you, to your car and like hand you the things you need to sign. And then you hand it back. Like, I don't know, somehow that's safer than you going inside. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's interesting. Matt, what would you say, say we get to the summer and we've, social distance ourselves uh, into flattening the curve to the point that, um, you know, we can kind of start to open up. I don't know what business as usual is at this point. I don't, I wish it meant just everything went back to normal, but I don't know if I see that. But what do you, uh, what do you see happening in the summer and moving into, you know, we're heading into the election in November and that sort of thing. Like where, what are you, what are you guys projecting in your business and what are you kind of gearing up for? We're gearing up for just a full on refinance boom for a year. But at the same time, I think that that could stimulate the purchase market a lot as well. Even right before this happened a couple months ago, I saw people willing to spend a lot more on homes that were, you know, they're looking at the interest rates compared to what they were a year ago. And they're like, that's, you know, it's 50,000 more, but my payment's the same. I'm fine with that. You know, if I budgeted this out, I think that with where rates generally track the 10 year treasury note, and we're so far away from any correlation the last couple of weeks, it's like that's no longer a factor in anything. That if, if this goes back to normal, um, we're going to have really good rates for a long time. And I think that's going to stimulate it substantially. You know what I'm So I'm hoping these first time home buyers are looking at that stuff. So, Matt, right, right now, middle of April, what as a home buyer could I expect to get for a rate depending on how much I'm putting down? I can't really do that without doing all the APR and all that fun stuff. <laughs> What's the APR? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> what is the APR percentage Sam? rate? <laughs> oh, yeah. you, you Googled that, Ryan. I know you did. <laughs> Let's just say um, the week before this all, or the week that this, the great pricing ended, that was Freddie Mac reported that as the lowest interest rates ever. So they officially beat 2016 or 13, I think, was the previous lowest ever. And, and we hit that. Is that when you got your mortgage done, Amanda? Pretty much. In the two-day window there, yeah. <laughs> I think I did. I haven't closed yet. It's supposed to close this week, but 
Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Yeah. Ding 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 ding. The worst part is that the mortgage report comes out the next week. Uh, Freddie's saying it's the best rates ever, and the phones are ringing off the hook. And we're like, "Oh, that was that was <laughs> that true, was you last know? week. <laughs> that was last week." And here we are. Every every five hours, everything is changing. I'd be just probably in closing, Matt, thank you for jumping on. And can you let us know how people could get in touch with you if they were in the Oregon area and were looking for a qualified mortgage lender? Absolutely. Um, they can call me anytime at 541-359-7212 or send me an email, matt at eugenebrokers.com. Are you going to send out a glossary with the, all the initials that we've used here today? Yes, sir. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, thank you everyone for joining us today, um, tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe to us, follow us at thegoodstewards.com, um, download a free copy of our ebook, and we will catch you next time.